how do you get there and figuring that out and then as things come as you grow or you get into bigger deals and things come on your plate figuring out what your specialty is and then anything that's not in that lane giving it off to somebody else quick disclaimer the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action for more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Seth Teagle. Seth is joining us from Columbus, Ohio. He is a firefighter, paramedic, and owner operator of the Stream Group, a vertically integrated commercial real estate company which focuses on multifamily and mixed use properties. Seth, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? Doing great. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Seth, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah. So I've been in the fire service for 21 years, basically most of my adult life. I got into real estate investing about five, six years ago. And right now we do strictly commercial multifamily. And then one of our partners does some mixed use property, ground up construction and whatnot. But for the most part, I'm heavily involved in just the commercial multifamily space. Seth, how did you get started? So I had been a fireman for a long time and wanted to get financial freedom, change the way that my life was going, just from what my parents had and whatnot. So I met a guy that was flipping houses and started talking with him. And long story short, I managed property for him for a while. And then I was doing project management for him and realized quickly that single family and flipping houses was not really the way that I wanted to scale. So the, the I worked with him for about a year and then put a deal together and bought my first deal I bought was a 50 unit and it's been going forward ever since. The first unit you bought was a 50 unit. Tell me more about that deal. Yeah. So like I said, I've been working with him for a while. I realized quickly that having everything underneath one roof would be very scalable or, or more efficient and was still having a career. I worked 24 hours on um, then I have two days off. That seemed to be the path of least resistance for me. So I went to an investor that I knew that had a decent sized portfolio and had a lot of equity in it and took the money that I had been saving and talked to him and just said, Hey, look, if we partner together on this, I'll run it, manage it, renovate it, everything, and just kind of handle the whole transaction. I just need somebody to kind of go in with me. And I put a whole presentation together for him to kind of get his, boost his confidence, kind of see what I've been doing and what my experience was. So I went out and looked in markets around me where I could get the most doors for my money. And that was the deal that I found and we bought it and have taken it full cycle now. Can we dive into that deal? Yeah. So that deal specifically, I went out to a tertiary market. So I'm in Columbus. This deal was out in Zanesville, Ohio, which is a rural town that if you look at it on the map or you look at data, if you're looking at markets, it wouldn't be somewhere that you would ever probably look at. But being local and knowing the area, I knew the demand was high. Uh, the population out there is less than 50,000, but over half of those people rent. So I knew that the demand for rentals were really high out there. I found the deal through a realtor who knew the owner and he had had the property for about 12 years and really had kind of ran it into the ground. I think it had always kind of been a rougher property, but he was using it as a, just a place to park money for a while. So I went and toured it. I saw the tremendous upside that could be there if it was ran right. So I put the deal together between myself and the investor and we bought it and renovated it over a year. We did 40 units and at month 13, we refied and pulled out a million dollars of equity. Seth, what was the purchase price of that property? 1.7 million. And how much did you raise on that deal? We put in 25% 
initially to buy it. So we split that cost between the two of us. And then I realized quickly it being my first deal that I was undercapitalized. So I went out and had some other people that were interested in, in real estate that didn't know how to get into it, but they were willing to lend me money. And so they just were debt investors. And I raised probably doing that probably with 250,000. And uh, was that for renovations? Yep. So it was strictly just a balloon note contract with a promissory note. And they lent me the money, no second position, no first position, nothing like that. And we used that money basically to do the renovations. And then once we refied, everybody got paid back. So it went really well. That's interesting. So you closed on the deal. You guys were 50-50 equity partners. Yep. Why didn't you go back to your partner and say, hey, we need more money? Because I knew at that point in time, he had no more to give. He had refied two of his properties to get the money that he had. And he just wasn't in a position to add more money to the deal. So it was interesting. It caused me to learn a lot through that deal though, because I had always like in my life had a good construction background. So I found myself down there doing a lot of the work or I was managing the contractors, but I was also working right alongside them because I only had so much money and I needed it to go as far as I could. So the place needed a lot of renovation. So that very first deal, I put a lot of sweat equity into that to really get it to work, but the payoff was great. And what a great thing you did from your partner's perspective, where you didn't rely on him for more money saying, Hey, I forgot about this huge expense renovations. You went out and found a solution and got it done. A 50 unit property for your first deal. I would imagine you learned a lot of hard lessons. What are some of those other lessons you learned on this? Well, the number one lesson I learned was that it went amazingly well compared to what it could have done and other properties we've done since then, at any point, it could have went really bad. And I didn't know what I didn't know back then. So I just had no idea that just around the corner, it could have really went downhill. But some of the other things I learned is like I said, sweat equity is super important on your first deal, trying to do whatever you have to do to get it done and for it to be successful. I knew that if I could get it done and it could be done right and we refied and it worked, not only would I prove the process to myself and to my family, but it would enable me to get into the next deal and it would help me to build a resume and a track record. That was one of the things I learned early on was that it it takes a lot more than just having the money to be able to buy a deal like this. I went to, I think, five banks and was told at each one of them that I looked good as far as an operator and experience and credit and all that, the things I was good to loan to and the property looked good, but they would not loan to me because I had never owned a property of this size or done a deal like this. And we were very close to thinking the deal wouldn't go through, but then through my network, an attorney had introduced me to a lender that actually kept their loan on their own books and they agreed to do the loan, but they wouldn't give me any money for construction. So I had 50,000 in the bank thinking that that would be enough and learned quickly that that was not going to be enough. And like I said, so it really pushed me outside of my comfort zone and I was not going to give up. I knew that blood, sweat and tears, I was going to get this deal done and it was going to be a success. That's a great story. What kind of interest did you pay your debt investors? I gave them 10% interest on their money. So it was great for them, but it wasn't like hard money lending terms. Yeah. And do you still use that lender today? No. So I used that lender. And then when we refied, they weren't offering me a very great interest rate. So I went away from them. I still could use them, but now we've gone into using more of a loan broker out of Cleveland, Ohio, because I'm in Columbus and we do more bridge debt now. But again, I learned then that just getting the deal done is like the first part. Then what are you going to do with all this construction? So if you don't raise the capital then you have to get it from the lender. But those can sometimes be tough loans to do as well because the process to get them to release your money, similar to a construction loan, it can be painstaking and slow and sometimes it can slow your renovation down. So there's ups and downs. I mean, I think you have to kind of weigh that. If it's your first deal and you don't have a lot of capital to pull, that might be the way to go. But 
Now what we do, I guess, is if I use a bridge loan, I don't have to dilute my equity down that much. If we don't do it, then I end up giving up more equity to bring in more investors. Seth, what kind of terms do you get on a bridge loan? What we're seeing right now is about 6.5% interest for 12 months. And then after that, we can refi with no penalty. Usually the term is good for two years with an ability to extend for two more years. And that's really, it's usually one point in, sometimes it's one point out. It just depends. But yeah, about 6.5% interest is what we're seeing. And do you find using a loan broker is beneficial? For me now, because of the size of our portfolio, it's just time. It is, they'll earn some money putting the loan together, but I don't have to go to five different banks. The one thing that I learned was that you could go to a bank and a loan officer can tell you all day long that they're going to be able to do the loan for you. But then when it gets to the credit committee, the whole story can change. So I use Chris Litzler and Jamie Litzler. They were the Marcus and Millichap out of Cleveland. They underwrite the deal. They look at it alongside us. And if they say they can do it, it's done. And that's a great relief off of my shoulders because that's always the problem. You're working hard trying to put the deal together, move the needle, and then all of a sudden you're financing. You're two weeks, three weeks away from closing, and then your financing falls through. That's never good when you're trying to build a reputation with brokers and sellers and everybody in the marketplace. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. I would imagine the rents were under market and that's how you added a million dollars in value. Is that correct? Yeah. So we did a lot of renovation, but the seller was getting around $500, 550 for a two bedroom and we're getting almost 800 now. And he was getting 450, I think for a one bedroom and we're getting around 650, 675. So We've refied very early just for me to have proof of concept and to kind of move on. But if I went back now and try to refi, or there's even more equity to pull from that. But that was something else, again, lessons learned was there's a reason why most people go 18 to 24 months before they do a refi on, on a deal like this is because it takes usually 12 months or so to get the thing turned around if it's not cash flowing. And then you have to have three to six months of kind of seasoning period of those new rents for the lender to really kind of believe that that's going to be something that's sustainable. What did your renovations consist of? All new flooring, paint, lighting, all new windows throughout the complex. We tore decks off that were dilapidated and kind of fallen off. We redid all the decks, redid the parking lots, redid a bunch of exterior work as far as landscaping and just cleaning the place up. We did full unit turns, new cabinets, countertops, sink, fixtures, flooring, bathrooms got fully renovated. But that's one of the big things I think that I learned too is not over-renovating. So I really try to study the area and like what I thought the comps would be for the rent. And then we would renovate to that. So like in this instance, granite or some of these other high-end fixtures, tile backsplashes, they're not going to get us any increase in rent for that. So we didn't do those things. And what was your total renovation expense? I think we were all in on renovations for 225000 so that million dollars in equity really filled your pockets back up along with yeah, your investor. Yep. Yeah, I did really well for him and for me. And like I said, it allowed me to get into my next deal. And multifamily is hot right now. Why not sell it? I don't know. Cash flows very well. There's just the two of us still in it and we make really good money on it. And I have a total of hundred units down there in that market right now. And we're in the process getting close to finishing another 
complex down there. So we may package those both together, but I'm in it for the longer term hold. So, you know, I still might be due five to seven years, but it's performing very well right now. And the problem is if I sell it, then what property am I going to get into? You got to find the next one, bigger and faster and better. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Most of my portfolio that I am directly involved with is here in central Ohio. So I haven't ventured into other states. We have some holdings in other places, but it's through one of our partners in the group. But we were integrated now where we do construction in-house and we do all of our property management. So anything that I touch is all here in central Ohio. So Seth, you've only been doing this a few years. Can you take me through the evolution of your first 50 unit that you've gotten refinanced out of to where you are today? Yeah, because Columbus is such a hot market right now, there's a lot of -of out-of-state and overseas money that comes here looking for deals. And part of what I noticed or saw when I was trying to grow the business was I'm an owner operator here locally that could be an equity partner, could be a KP, could be somebody that could be boots on the ground per se, and our team could do a lot of things. So we've kind of built ourselves out around that. So I did two deals on my own that I structured together. Then I partnered with an out-of-state company on two of them. So I have equity in those deals. We help raise capital. And then we run basically all the CapEx and property management that enabled me to kind of build a team out to start our own property management company, construction company. We did two deals with them and it opened me up to outside investors that wanted to get into Columbus, but didn't have the connection in the market. And so, like I said, it's helped me just put together other deals. I said, those two are with another company, but then this year alone, we've done almost 20 million in real estate. So I think we've closed on four transactions this year. And how do you get in front of out of state and overseas investors? Really, it's social media, doing things like this, speaking with you guys, and then broker relationships. So a lot of the brokers in Columbus that we know we have good relationships with, we're local, we meet with them regularly. So they'll have a buyer that might be coming from New York or California or Oregon or wherever they're coming from, and they're wanting to buy something, but they have no presence here. So the brokers will connect us. What a great lead for investors. Have you also reached out to your network for investment capital? Yeah. So most of the stuff that I've done right now, I've bought two pretty much on my own. And then the rest of them we've syndicated and it's all been 506B syndication. So it's all been, like I said, friends and family or people that I've met through networking and whatnot. What's been the biggest challenge with taking on investors? I think just operating at a high level, there's all kinds of things that I guess the reason why we we integrated was because I couldn't come to you and say, Hey, if you're going to give me a hundred thousand dollars, there was no way for me to really truly know if I could get the returns that I was promising you, if it wasn't maybe necessarily me directly, but the people that work for me overseeing the project and understanding what the goals were, and then trying to go out and achieve those. I had a couple of different bad experiences with third-party property management companies. So it forced me then to develop our own company and then contractors. That's always a bottleneck for everybody. I feel like. So we went to a contractor that we knew that had a decent sized team and we basically partnered together where we did a trade agreement where he exclusively works for us and any property that we're involved with. And then that eliminated the bottleneck of trying to find work, trying to find laborers or licensed electricians, plumbers. He had those connections where we didn't. So again, utilizing the network. What's the benefit of a contractor signing an exclusive to only work for you? I think for, for at least with talking with him is that it's just the consistency and the scalability. If he's keeping his own company and he's wanting to scale, Coming on and board with us, 90% of what we do is the same, right? We use the same countertops, cabinets, the same style flooring, the same paint. Again, that's why everybody does multifamily because of the, the scalable nature of it. And he knows our system now so well that they can turn more units faster. So he ends up making more money that way. 
versus going out and doing retail, bathrooms, kitchens, decks, all these different things. I mean, there's tons of that work out there, but I think it's probably easier for him to do what we're doing. We won't have to deal in the retail world. Interesting. What is the typical return for your investors? We usually shoot for deals that are eight to 10% cash on cash, and then anywhere between 18 to 22% IRR. Usually if we present a deal to investors, that's what we shoot for. And is there an anticipated hold period? I would say the minimum is three years, but usually we shoot for five. Like I said, we've been buying just in the tertiary secondary markets around Columbus. Seth, if you can go back to your multifamily experience in the beginning, what's one thing you would do differently? I would probably either pay for a mentor early or try to link up with somebody. When I got in it, I just didn't know. And I didn't know that there was so much out there, one of free content, but people and groups that you can get involved with that are already doing it. There's a guy that I met through, again, networking that was in Cleveland and he had about 900 units. And I would talk to him probably once a quarter. And some of the conversations that we had early on, it was just mind blowing the things that he was telling me. And and it really, really helped me along early on in my journey. So, you know, that's kind of how I give back as well now is that I do the same thing for other guys that are trying to get into multifamily or trying to get where where I'm at. What were some aspects of that conversation from the person in Cleveland that still resonate with you today? I think the one big thing that when I realized that I was undercapitalized on that first deal was him telling me you're way undercapitalized and just the fear that that put in me that, oh my gosh, I got into this thing and I've got other people's money on the line and I'm doing it wrong from day one. That's probably a big one. The other one would just be, like he said, blood, sweat, or tears. It doesn't matter. You have to be good stewards of other people's money and It doesn't matter what happens to you in that process, operating with integrity. If you tell them, here's what you're going to get as a return, or here's how this is going to work. Above all else, you take care of those people. So you were under the gun when you needed to raise money on that 50 unit. How did you convince investors to give you their money at a 10% return? Because you really didn't have a great story. It's like, hey guys, I screwed up. I need money to do these renovations. What was the pitch? Well, one, I never said I screwed up. I definitely didn't lead with that, right? The interesting part of it was, was I had a lot of single family guys that wanted to get into a big deal like that. And they just never believed that it was possible. I guess limiting beliefs on their end, they were flipping houses or they had a bunch of single family rentals. So I went to them and I just said, look, here's the deal. Here's what we're doing. Here's an opportunity for you guys to be private lenders where they they have these single family homes they have equity in that they could refinance. Instead of going and buying another one, you could lend me the money at this interest rate, but then they could also see what I'm doing from the cockpit versus just hearing about it or reading a book about it or whatnot. And it only took two or three guys for that to kind of resonate with. And then they would, they'd come down to the property. One, they'd see me working, but they'd see what we were doing. They'd see how we were turning it. I had a plan the whole time of what I was doing and how I was going to do it. And I knew just from my background in construction and again, property management and project management prior to buying that, how I needed to get there. So that was kind of the trade-off was they got to be involved and see it firsthand. I think that was kind of like the sell. That's a great approach because not only are they getting a return on their investment, but they're learning by having a front row seat to what you're doing. So I loved how you pitched that. That's great. And we still do it today. I've got two different people right now that I'm talking with that they want to learn what we're doing. So that's what I've told them is like, hey, if you put in on a deal, rather than pay me a fee to teach you, put in on a deal. It's probably not going to be like the greatest return for you, but the return is the education. So then we sign them up and they do due diligence with us. We'll do calls with them weekly. We walk through our underwriting. We walk through the whole construction process. They can come on site and have full access. It's full transparency, but it gives them the ability to 
be in with us till we refi, then they take their money and they're gone and the little bit that they made, but now they have the resume, they have the experience, they have the ability to go and try to do their own deal. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business or maybe you've tried, but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes, and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend, Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe. J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. Here's a problem you're probably not solving for right now. Have you ever had a tenant squat inside your rental and refuse to pay rent? Or are you worried about renting to a serial rent dodger? You've probably used a credit report for tenant screening before, but what if I told you you're missing out on info you need to properly verify prospective tenants? That's a problem, and the solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a summary of a prospective tenant's financial information using bank-verified transactional data you can't get from a credit check. This includes monthly income, payroll, past rent payments, and identity verification. Rentify's reports also highlight non-sufficient funds, overdraft history, and missed rent payments. It's all available at www.trustrentify.com. The best part is Rentify's financial reports instantly verify the full financial picture of a tenant within minutes, so you will no longer have to waste hours or even days verifying their information manually. And you can eliminate the risk of being duped by fraudulent documents and losing thousands of dollars getting unreliable tenants evicted. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first report package. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com. Put in the promo code FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first report package. So when they go to five banks, they have a bit of a track record. Exactly. And then too, if I don't know them really well, it helps me get to know them better. And it gives me an opportunity, I'm hoping in the end, to be a KP on one of their deals or help them structure their deal. And then again, it, it's ultimately, hopefully it'll be some deal flow for me too that I wouldn't have come across without them. Yeah, I love that because for years I've mentored people, never expected anything in return. And now when they're finding deals, they ask me to partner up with them on that. So yeah, the unintended byproduct of mentoring others mm-hmm. has been you get to get in on some great deals. So yeah, the universe rewards you for sure when you mentor people. That's awesome. Seth, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh, my best real estate investing advice ever would probably be somewhere along the lines of in line with the book by Dan Sullivan on who, not how. And really just, I think for me is understanding where you want to go in real estate, whether it's single family or it's flipping, it's multifamily. If they're listening to this podcast, I would assume it's going to be multifamily, but how do you get there? 
and figuring that out. And then as things come, as you grow or you get into bigger deals and things come on your plate, figuring out what your specialty is, and then anything that's not in that lane, giving it off to somebody else. That's how I've been able to scale to the sizes that we're at is that the minute that I recognize something in my path that is not my expertise, I start looking for who can I hire, who can I partner with, who can I get to come in and handle that for me. Seth, you mentioned mixed use properties earlier. What are you doing with those? In our portfolio, we've got a couple strip malls. We've got some self-storage, strip malls on the front, and they've got apartments up top. It's not a huge part. Most of our stuff is all multifamily or ground up multifamily. And are the returns on the mixed use higher than multifamily? I haven't seen them be that. We've got a couple in Dayton, Ohio. It's more of a stabilized asset. So if you're buying it, it's more of a longer hold play. At least in my experience, like I said, I don't have a a ton of experience with it, but what I have been, I feel like the the C-class or the stuff that we're buying on that C-class border, making it be, I've seen much better returns from across the board in in that arena. So you purchased those and they were fully leased? Yeah. Have you looked at vacant or value-add mixed-use properties? I have looked at a couple, but I'm also a firm believer in like staying in your lane. And so we did the mixed use because the one of the guys that's in our group from Utah, he had experience in that. And so when we found these deals that were closer to us, he kind of gave us the opportunity to kind of get involved in those. And so it's kind of like me dipping my toe in the water with that kind of stuff. And so it has not been bad. I would say I probably lean on him a lot more. Now, if he says it's a good deal, I would probably go that route. But my specialty, like I said, is multifamily. But again, to broaden my horizons, I got involved with somebody else that's doing these other asset classes. Well, I'm going to push you a step further. And for the best ever listeners, I think this is good advice. Mixed use properties often fall under everyone's radar. So commercial people like me, when I say commercial, I'm a non-residential commercial investor. I don't want them because I don't want the apartments. The residential guys don't want the commercial and lenders hate mixed use buildings for whatever reason, they just hate them. So there's a bit of a barrier to entry. And often you have to find a local lender to finance them. But mixed use properties are often underpriced or they have some vacancy, especially with the commercial unit, and they fall under everyone's radar. So there's some steals out there. I would encourage you to keep looking at mixed use. You're exactly right. I see them sometimes where it might be like a six unit, but then it's sitting on top of two retail spots or a restaurant or something like that. And I would normally, I would skip over them, but he was the same way. I kind of pushing me like, oh no, we need, we need to do this. And, and uh, so it was kind of me expanding my horizons on those. Yeah. And I think to really make money on them, get them where the commercial units are either vacant or undervalued lease that's expiring soon, because often the apartments pay all of your expenses on that property and then some. So whatever you get from the commercial unit is just pure profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I want to have you back on the episode once you find some more mixed use buildings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of them around me. And like I said, I'll have to start digging into those more because a lot of times I'm just like you said, uh, I skip over them. Yeah. But. And a good way to do some due diligence on those is look around. And if there's a ton of businesses or a ton of commercial spaces that have for lease signs that are boarded up, probably not the greatest area. But if everything in the surrounding area is fairly well leased, you know, you can easily get a tenant for it, right? Mm -hmm. You can even put a Craigslist ad out before you purchase it and see what the demand is in that area for commercial tenants. Yeah, that's great. Walk up and down the street, knock on doors and talk to other business owners that are renting commercial space 
and kind of ask them and pick their brain about the area, how easy it is to get tenants. And again, it's just under everyone's radar. Seth, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Seth, what's the best ever book you recently read? The best ever book that I've recently read would be, I'm going to probably stick with Dan Sullivan's Who Not How. I can't preach that book enough. It's changed my life with that mentality. And I think that if people haven't read it or heard of it, that they need to check it out. So I'm going to stick with that one. What are some of the mundane tasks that you offloaded and how did you offload them? One, the mundane stuff for me would be dealing with the tenants directly. So we have three or four staff to do that. And then we recently partnered up with a company to do all of our project management over our construction. So that was something that was really taking up a lot of my time and it was really derailing me from what my specialty is, which is finding deals and networking and meeting investors. So we brought in a company called Project X. They're here local in Columbus and we're building a whole system for them to be able to help us expand to 1,000 to 2,000 doors. But I wouldn't necessarily call them mundane, but the tasks that can come on my plate that eat up my time and my bandwidth, they're huge for us to continue to grow. Are they just a professional project management company or do they specialize in construction? They do a little bit of both. You could use them for doing your construction or you can use them just for project management. But here in Columbus, when Facebook has come here and done their warehouses, their data centers, they handle all the project management for that. Some of the big hospitals here, like some multi-million dollar renovations, much bigger than what we're doing. But I knew the owner. And so I went to him and said, hey, look, you know, here's my bottleneck with multifamily. And there's a huge market for it because there's all kinds of operators out there that this is a big struggle. So what we're doing is we're kind of building it up together where I'm kind of the guinea pig. And then we would be able to take on if there's an operator in Cincinnati that buys a property that needs renovated, they could call and get the project management handled, the GC and construction handled, like everything. It's a one-stop shop. I love that. One of the keys in project management is that the project manager has to be independent of the actual work. Mm -hmm. So having a third-party project manager, I've never heard of that, but that's a brilliant move. That's why, like I said, that Dan Sullivan book, I always think about that and how what we were doing if, you know, was great for what we're doing right now, but I couldn't imagine adding another 500 doors onto what we're doing. The nice thing about bringing a company like that on is I did not have to hire another three, four, or five people to my payroll. I'm just paying them a fee to do it on an annual basis. And they have a huge team. They're professional. What they can do is amazing. And, and the things that our benefits, our investors are going to see is tip of the spear type stuff going on. That is great. Seth, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I think for me right now is, again, I have a heart for first responders, nurses, military, people that are kind of like the blue collar. They're workers that, like myself, that work hard every day, day in and day out, and they still struggle with regular things. And so I always seek out people like that to try to help. But ultimately, like I said, I love teaching. I love mentoring. I love to try to give back. And I'm not the biggest and best guy out there, but... I'm learning from other guys that are farther down the road than I am, but I always like to try to turn around and reach a hand back to anybody that's coming up from where I was at to try to help them and try to help steer them from any of the things that they could run into that could completely derail their investing careers. Seth, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? They can check us out on the streamgroups.com. They can look me up on Facebook underneath Seth Teagle, or they can look me up on LinkedIn and they can email me through the website as well. Yeah, Seth, I want to thank you again for being on the show. You've only been a real estate investor for five or six years. Your first deal was at 50 unit that could have gotten derailed, but you found solutions and you've really come a long way in a short amount of time. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Best ever listeners. 
Thanks for joining us and have a best ever day.